A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad that you've joined the program today. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, You know, it's amazing. It's early March, but uh, we're already seeing some critical deadlines in a lot of state legislatures around the country. So, for instance, Friday was the deadline for Washington state uh, lawmakers to pass a ban on so-called high-capacity magazines, right? The uh, legislative session wraps up on uh, Friday, but uh, uh, this Friday, but last Friday was the crossover deadline. And lawmakers, unfortunately, got it done. Uh, In the waning hours on Friday night, they approved, the uh, House did, a a magazine ban that had already been approved by the state Senate. So this caps uh, the uh, uh, number of rounds that can be sold in ammunition magazines or number of magazines that can be sold to uh, 10 rounds of ammunition only. Um, I will tell you right now, I expect this uh, bill is going to be signed into law by uh, Governor Jay Inslee. I expect it's going to be challenged in court, but we already have pending challenges uh, against uh, New Jersey's 10-round magazine ban and California's 10-round magazine ban. In fact, we were talking about California's ban uh, on last week's program because there is a challenge right now. In fact, it's just gone to the Supreme Court uh, asking the court to uh, take up California's magazine ban. California's ban, by the way, not only bans the uh, sale or the uh, purchase of magazines that could hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition, they went back and they actually changed the law a few years ago to retroactively ban the possession of magazines that were lawfully purchased. Now, the bill in Washington state doesn't do that. It has a quote-unquote grandfather clause in it, I suspect, Uh, in order to uh, draw in support from a couple of reluctant Democrats. I don't think it's going to save the law from being challenged in court. Uh, And again, I think whatever the Supreme Court does with the Washington State uh, bill, excuse me, whatever the Supreme Court does with the California legislation will have an impact on this bill that we're seeing in Washington State. Now, listen, even though I do anticipate that Governor Inslee is going to sign this bill, I would encourage every gun owner out there uh, in Washington State, contact the governor, urge him to uh, reject this bill, which frankly is not going to do anything to reduce violent crime. There's no way that this law can be proactively enforced against violent offenders. Uh, And instead, what's going to happen is law-abiding people who, yes, may need more than 10 rounds to protect themselves against numerous home intruders, because we know that bad guys don't like to fight fair. Those are the folks who I think are more likely to be implicated uh, 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 with this new law. And again, it's not going to make anybody any safer. It's going to make legal law-abiding gun owners more at risk of violent criminals. Again, I don't expect that's going to change the governor's mind, but I do think the governor should be hearing uh, from uh, uh, law-abiding responsible gun owners uh, about what they think about this latest infringement on their constitutionally protected rights. Today on the program, oh, it, I, I, before one more thing. So this is, I think, undoubtedly probably the biggest piece of gun control legislation that has passed this year around the country. I think it's also going to be overshadowed this week because I am more than cautiously optimistic. I'm pretty darn optimistic that this week we are going to see the final passage of constitutional carry in the state of Alabama. I think we may very well see this bill uh, become law in Ohio uh, uh, within uh, the next couple of weeks, if not this week, next week. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine, if he doesn't sign the bill, 
it becomes law automatically. So it doesn't. It, the only way the bill doesn't become law, it has passed and is on its. It's it's at the governor's desk right now. The only way constitutional carry does not become the law of the land in Ohio is if Governor DeWine actually vetoes the measure. I also expect to see some progress this week in Indiana and in Georgia as well on constitutional carry. So things are progressing pretty well for permitless carry around the country. Meanwhile, gun control advocates are struggling, even in a deep blue state like Washington, uh, to get their agenda through. So I, I listen, I, you know, excuse me being biased if you want, but my uh, honest uh, opinion on how things are shaping up this legislative session is that we are seeing more wins than losses. And again, we're going to be challenging those losses uh, in court around the country whenever possible. Today, though, we're going to take a look at a, another law that actually is facing a court challenge. The uh, 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 National Association for Gun Rights, uh, first out of the gate and filing a suit against San Jose's uh, new mandatory insurance policy for gun owners, as well as their annual fee that you are supposed to pay if you are a gun owner in the city. CNN uh, took a look at this over the weekend and and found some some issues that they found troubling, right? <laughs> and now the Trace has done the same thing. Michael Bloomberg's uh, uh, anti-gun website, Jennifer Masia reporting, uh, will requiring gun owners to buy insurance improve firearm safety. San Jose, California just became the first city to mandate gun liability policies, but will they work as advertised? Note, by the way, that the headline doesn't actually trash the policy. Because this is, this, is this is a gun control website. They're not going to trash the policy. But uh, even Jennifer Masia and the uh, anti-gun advocates at the Trace can't put enough lipstick on this pig to make it pretty. Uh, as she writes, in San Jose, city leaders say gun liability insurance will work like auto insurance by incentivizing safe behavior through lower premiums for responsible gun owners. They also claim that requiring insurance will offset the cost of the city's gun violence to taxpayers, which was recently estimated nearly $40 million a year. We believe we can better, more equitably distribute that cost and reduce the harm from guns, said Mayor Sam Licardo, who first proposed the insurance measure after a series of mass shootings in 2019. But as the trace poured over the particulars of San Jose's ordinance and interviewed insurance experts, we found that the plan may end up not being as effective as proponents have advertised. It will only cover shootings that occur under a narrow and specific set of circumstances, she writes, providing little incentive for gun owners to adopt safer practices. Now, first of all, there's a couple of things here we need to correct. It is true that um, this will only cover shootings under a narrow and specific set of circumstances, but this was never really going to, quote, incentivize gun owners to adopt safer practices. First of all, the vast majority of gun owners are already safe and responsible. The number of uh, accidents involving firearms has declined dramatically over the past 30 years. But again, for gun control advocates, this really wasn't ever about safety. This wasn't about encouraging gun owners to adopt safer practices. This was about discouraging legal gun ownership in the first place by making it more expensive and, yes, more legally dangerous to exercise your Second Amendment rights. But let's talk about the uh, the newly discovered limitations in San Jose's ordinance, at least the newly discovered limitations, uh, the, the, the limitations that gun owners, or excuse me, gun control advocates have uh, newly discovered. So one of the issues here is that the uh, requirement for insurance uh, for all gun owners, when, when, when this was first announced, there were a lot of folks, including myself, who were like, well, this is kind of crazy because... Most insurance companies don't offer specific policies for gun owners, and they don't. 
Because, according to Janet Ruiz, who's a spokesperson for the Insurance Information Institute, property and liability coverage for gun accidents is already included in most standard homeowners policies, usually at no additional cost. She says, quote, if you already have homeowners or renters insurance before the ordinance, you don't have to do anything differently once it takes effect. Uh-huh. Because this ordinance only applies to accidental shootings because most insurance policies do not cover intentional shootings. Now, there are uh, some uh, self-defense policies, um, you know, like Locked and Affinity has one, USCCA, uh, obviously a huge one. Second Call Defense is another. You know, the NRA got in trouble in New York State for selling carry guard insurance, which is in essence now what uh, guys like uh, Mayor Sam Licardo are suggesting uh, gun owners purchase in addition to their standard homeowners and uh, renters insurance. But again, this ordinance only covers, <clears throat> excuse me, accidental shootings. And the reason for that, according to the insurance companies, is that, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 there's just no real way uh, to uh, cover liability for a uh, lawful shooting or, let's say, a negligent shooting, an unlawful shooting. Uh, most insurance companies are not going to do that. And the city, by the way, is not requiring this. Instead, Licardo, as uh, Jennifer Masia mentioned, is sort of portraying this as like, well, it's just like having car insurance. You know, if you're a safe driver, you get a good driver discount. So if you're a safe gun owner, you're, you're going to get a good gun owner discount. You know, if you keep your guns locked up and things of that nature, you're, you're going to get charged less money by your insurance companies. As it turns out, no, probably not. Uh, Masia said experts that we spoke with said insurance companies will not be asking these questions like, do you have a gun safe? Do you have a trigger lock? Have you taken any gun safety classes? And gun owner behavior probably won't influence the rates that people are paying because the ordinance only requires policies that cover accidental shootings, which are rare in San Jose. I think there were like five within the last five years. Uh, George McSari, who's a law professor at the University of Wyoming, says it's totally oversold. He says, I think it's an idea that makes sense on the surface, but when you dig into it a little bit, it essentially falls apart. I, I, I don't even, honestly, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't even think it makes sense on the surface. I don't think it makes sense at all. Unless you are a politician trying to tell voters, look, I'm doing something, not anything that works, but something. So the insurance mandate, not likely to make a difference, according to gun control activists. That leaves the annual fee, right? The $25 fee that every legal gun owner is supposed to pay, not by the way to the city of San Jose, but as uh, Masia reminds us, uh, this $25 gun harm reduction fee will go towards the creation of a new nonprofit devoted to preventing gun violence. Per a memorandum on the ordinance, that nonprofit will distribute the funds to groups that provide behavioral and mental health services, suicide prevention counseling, violence reduction, and domestic abuse services, as well as firearms education and training. By the way, the city will not have a say over how the funds are distributed according to the ordinance. So no oversight on the part of the city. They're just compelling every legal gun owner in the city to hand over $25 to a private third party that will supposedly take their money and work on reducing gun violence, again, without any oversight whatsoever. This is insane. It's absolutely insane. And I, I expect, even in California, where the Ninth Circuit has upheld every gun control law that has come before it since the Heller decision, the McDonald decision in 2008, 2010, respectively. This may be a bridge too far even for the Ninth Circuit. Probably not, but maybe. But maybe.
And if not, I hope the Supreme Court expresses an interest in this because, again, there is no public safety benefit. There is, uh, I think, real constitutional issues. Uh, and I, I think, frankly, these ordinances are largely unenforceable, uh, which is something else, by the way, we were talking about on uh, Barry and Arms Cam and coming today, the unenforceability of California's vaunted gun control laws. Uh, and we will continue to talk about that because they keep putting more of these unenforceable and unconstitutional laws on the books, seemingly every week in uh, California. Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report, which takes us to uh, Chicago, Illinois, and the uh, uh, incomparable website, CWB Chicago, which does a fantastic job of reporting on crime and public safety uh, in Chicago. They've got this story about a beloved Hyde Park bartender who was killed by an 18-year-old robber who has three pending felony cases and is still, well, was, until he was charged with murder, uh, was quickly returned to the streets each and every time he was arrested. Keontae McShan is the 18-year-old's name. Three felony cases pending in juvenile court. Two for illegally possession of a gun. One for an armed carjacking. And prosecutors say that McShan stabbed and robbed a bartender who was walking home in Hyde Park last month. Prosecutors say that Diego Damas, 41 years of age, was walking home after his shift at the Cove Lounge. McShan began following around 5 a.m. back on February 25th. Surveillance video allegedly shows McShan checking parked car doors to see if they were unlocked. He then entered a car before he spotted Damas walking down the street. According to surveillance video, McShan stabbed Damas repeatedly, took his wallet, cash, bank card, video showing Damas kneeling on grass next to the sidewalk as the attacker ran away. He fell backwards. He lay there for about an hour. Until somebody walking by discovered him and called for help. Pronounced dead from multiple stab wounds to his chest, to his abdomen, to his arm. Probably didn't hear anything about this case because, again, it was a stabbing. And, you know, we're really concerned about gun violence in Chicago, not about violence. So even though McShan is facing charges of legally possessing uh, a gun not once but twice as a juvenile and a charge of armed carjacking as a juvenile, again, with a gun... Those cases would matter more to the gun control movement than the death of Mr. Damas because a knife was involved when it came to Mr. Damas's murder. I think, again, we need to be focusing on the individual. I think we need to be paying attention not to the implement that was used, but to the human being that stabbed the bartender. They'd be willing to pull the trigger. They'd be willing to slam a hammer down on somebody's skull. I don't particularly care about the tool that is used. I care about the individuals responsible for these crimes and the lack of consequences that we are seeing here. Now, again, you can argue in this case, look, McShan got picked up, illegal possession of a gun. There was no underlying violent crime. He's 18 years old or 17 at this point. Um, uh, there was no reason for authorities to hold him. Fine. I, actually, I would probably agree with you. If it's just a simple uh, uh, possession of a firearm, somebody who's 17 years old, it's a bad thing, but you're right. Probably not enough to hold them in jail without bond until they go to trial. You let them out. Second time around, it's a, it's a, it becomes a little bit more difficult to say, yes, fine, let them out. Um, but when you are dealing then with a vehicular hijacking, at that point, I don't understand 
why, if not a prosecutor, why the judge did not step in and say, listen, um, we've got a series of uh, escalating offenses here that you're accused of. It sure would appear like you are a danger to the community. Uh, if not to yourself, we're going to keep you behind bars. That has happened now. Now that McShann has been charged with first-degree murder, now he's being held without bond. But that carjacking, eh, he was still able to bond out. And that, I think, is indicative of the problem that we have, not just in Chicago, but a lot of other cities around the country. If your crime is so heinous it makes the front page of the news, if your crime leads the nightly newscast, you're probably going to get held without bail. If not, if your case flies under the radar, no no matter how egregious or awful the circumstances may be, you are likely to bond out. And I think this case, uh, I think Mr. McShannon is a perfect example of this. Uh, I I think the evidence demonstrates that Mr. McShannon should have been held without bond because he was a threat to the community before he allegedly murdered this 41-year-old bartender, um, who, by the way, had a family. Had people who loved him. Diego Damas did not deserve to die on a sidewalk, all alone. The blood flowing out of the stab wounds that he received from an 18-year-old who should have been locked up. And Chicago shouldn't tolerate this from their criminal justice system anymore. Now, today's armed citizen story from Fontana, California, where police say a homeowner shot and killed an intruder in the uh, overnight hours on Saturday into a Sunday, it was about uh, 1045 Saturday night, Fontana police got a, a call about a report of a burglar when they arrived on scene. They discovered that the homeowner had shot and killed a man who had broken into his home. Uh, police say the homeowner was uh, by himself uh, in the residence when he saw the man breaking in. He used a gun in an apparent act of self-defense, shooting the intruder, then calling 911 to report the burglary and the shooting. Uh, At last report, the burglar has not been identified, uh, only uh, as a man in his late 20s or early 30s. Uh, Investigators also learned that several firearms were stolen from the home the day before. They say it's unclear at this point whether the man who broke into the home Saturday may have been connected to that theft. uh, But the homeowner, uh, not facing any charges, briefly detained. Police say he's cooperating with the investigation. And uh, we are glad that he was able to protect and defend himself. We'll bring you any more details of this case uh, if and when they become available. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Well, actually, you know, I, I tell you, we got we got two. First of all, I got to say, um, for all of those American volunteers, I wrote about this at Bearing Arms earlier today, but for the thousands of uh, American volunteers who are joining the Ukrainian military, who are who are volunteering to serve overseas, you are my good deed of the day. You're in the right place. You are... Uh, at the right time, and you were doing the right thing, stepping up to make a difference. So according to the uh, Ukrainian embassy in Washington, D.C., about 3,000 Americans have done so. And uh, really, a tip of the cap to uh, each and every one of them. We're going to be following uh, the efforts, obviously, at BarionArms.com to defend Ukraine against the uh, Russian invasion, including the efforts by those Americans who are putting their own lives on the line. Uh, And I do want to acknowledge them. Uh, Our, our, um, let's say, smaller more uh, intimate, uh, a good deed of the day, uh, one that uh, it only involves a handful of people and not thousands of Americans. A, a police officer in central Maine who was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save a teenager who fell into an icy pond during a uh, hockey game. This was at Cape Elizabeth, Maine. It was uh, over the weekend. It was just supposed to be, you know, fun afternoon, playing hockey, 
Uh, 14-year-old Nathaniel Drake said, I got out there. And uh, then the, the moment I said, yeah, it's fine. I think we're good. That's when I was skating on top of it. And I just fell right through the moment that I said it. Yeah, we're all good. Whoa, right? Nathaniel's mom, Tiffany, was nearby. She saw what happened, but she wasn't able to get to him. She said, I just prayed, Lord, you got great plans for this child. I know this is not his time to go right now. Please, God, please send someone here that's going to be able to get to him. Nathaniel's friends called 911. They tried to throw him a rope. It's too windy to reach him. Emergency crews uh, soon showed up. Officer Aaron Webster said, uh, all I had was a life jacket we carry in the patrol cars for things like this. Uh, Nathaniel's condition getting worse by the minute. He said, I couldn't really kick with my legs because my skates were on. It just wasn't any help. So Aaron Webster got into the water, got as close to Nathaniel Drake as he could, had a basket attached to a rope. Firefighters were ready to pull him in. Uh, Webster said, I kind of propped it up on the ice, kind of rocked it back and forth, lined it up and said, when I count to three, I'm going to push this basket to you and I need you to grab onto it. He did. Nathaniel did. Nathaniel was able to get pulled out. He was taken to the hospital. Tiffany Drake, his mom, said uh, they said everybody in the ambulance couldn't have done a better job. They saved his life. She said, I then asked permission to hug the officer, Officer Webster, and it is a hug that I will never forget. So uh, Nathaniel Drake is alive and well today, thanks to the uh, quick thinking of uh, those on the scene, uh, in particular, Officer Aaron Webster. Uh, We thank you, sir, for your very, very good deed. And we thank you, as always, for being a part of today's program. If you like what you heard and uh, see, be sure to check out BarryAndArms.com. We've got even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. We're posting all day long, every day, so uh, be sure to check it out. If you like what you see there as well, you can always become a VIP subscriber. All you have to do is uh, go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Oddly enough, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. You can get significant savings on your VIP membership. And not only will you be showing your support for the independent pro Second Amendment journalism that we're doing at Bearing Arms, but in return, as our way of saying thanks, we're going to provide you with exclusive news stories, analysis, content you will not find anywhere else because your support really does mean a lot to us. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with even more Second Amendment news and information. But in the meantime, you know what I'm about to say. Be well. Be safe. Most importantly, be free. Be free.